The story you're about to hear is hilarious. It was told at the January 2012 installment of the How I Learned series. The theme of the night was How I Learned I'll Never Do That Again, Most Likely. I love this story. Enjoy. Next up is uh, the aforementioned star of Children of the Corn 2, The Final Sacrifice. Aside from that, he's also a writer uh, and a performer, and he's the co-author of Sex, Our Bodies, Our Junk. Um, he's also written for Vanity Fair and Esquire and performs all over the city and all over the YouTubes. Please welcome Ted Travelstead. Hi. Thank you for coming this evening. What a wonderful crowd. Brian had some mushrooms in his freezer. Psychedelic mushrooms stored in a General Foods International coffee tin. He wasn't sure how long he'd had them, but he said we should eat them. It would be fun. He was well-versed in hallucinogens a real veteran of mind expansion. It was the summer of 1992. I was living in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I'd moved there after completing an acting internship at a regional theater in Springfield, Massachusetts. <laughs> Springfield, Massachusetts. Home of the Basketball Hall of Fame and crippling depression. <laughs> it had been a brutal winter. I'd been drinking in a bowling alley bar straight out of a David Lynch film. There was a blind woman, a blind obese woman, that would come out of the bathroom and make a loud noise with her mouth, signaling her partner on the stool, a call and response. And he would lead her back to her, to her stool. I once sat next to a man who slowly in molasses increments passed out in a plate of corned beef hash. So come spring, I decided to head west to the place of my birth. Brian was a good friend of mine from college in Virginia. He decided to move to Albuquerque when I introduced him to some friends who lived there. Now he was studying photography at the University of New Mexico. So Brian had some mushrooms in his freezer. <laughs> now, contrary to my appearance, I'm not a person who gobbles hallucinogenic mushrooms on a regular basis. I've lived a primarily fear-based life. I used to think, I shouldn't take hallucinogens. My imagination is too vivid. I've already got a million ideas and images floating around in my brain at once. What doors do I possibly need to open? <laughs> but I've come to realize that that's just a generous cover-up for the real reason, which is fear. I mean, having vivid imagination is probably a reason person should indulge in hallucinogens. But no, the real reason I shouldn't and can't is because I'm afraid. I'm afraid of pretty much everything, all the time. My mother lives a fear-based life. Her father lived one before her. And God knows how far back the quaking, heart-palpitating lineage traces. 
When you grow up with that energy and no one to absorb it, you eventually succumb to it. The alarm center in my brain works overtime. Early in life, I began self-soothing with repetitive actions. If I flipped the light on and off 28 times before I left the room, it made me feel better, calmer. If I stepped on certain spots with my right foot, looked over my right shoulder at certain things, it momentarily relieved the anxiety, quelled the fear. As I got older and learned more about OCD, it became harder to rationalize these actions as plausible remedies for the anxiety. My intellect told me that nothing bad would happen if I didn't touch the doorknob with my right pinky finger six times and then circle it. <laughs> but I knew that if I didn't, I would be enshrouded with fear. This need for control, this grasping and holding tight of any reins you can find to slow the wild, anxious horse you're riding does not make it easy to give over to the unknown. But Brian had some mushrooms in his freezer. <laughs> we had talked about doing this for a while. He assured me it wasn't that big a deal. So, despite my trepidation, I decided to do it. We took off in the late morning in my grandfather's light blue Pontiac Grand Prix, a giant ship of a car, and started toward the Sandia Mountains, about a half hour's drive away. Brian took out the coffee tin as soon as we were on the road and began to extract what was inside. He handed me a mushroom cap and a large stem, and I plopped them in my mouth, chewing up the bitter, quirky, earthy pieces and swallowing them down as fast as I could. I've always wondered if I have a fast metabolism or if the power of my imagination is such that it just seems that way. But regardless, it wasn't 15 minutes before I started to feel different. <laughs> I pulled into the parking lot of a tiny giant convenience store at the base of the Sandias <laughs> and went inside to deal with the strong laxative effect of the mushrooms. <laughs> or my nerves, or both. Afterward, as I was washing my hands, I noticed re my reflection in the mirror. Everything looked a little brighter a little more in focus. I noticed the sweat stains on my t-shirt, and it was like suddenly I'd never encountered sweat stains before. <laughs> they were fascinating. I left the bathroom and told Brian that maybe he'd better drive the rest of the way. <laughs> By the time we parked at the base of the mountains, I was definitely feeling something. We got out of the car and began hiking up a trail, and I remember that I was astounded at how green and brown <laughs> everything was. I also remember thinking, holy mother of God, this is nothing like smoking pot. <laughs> we had barely just begun and already I was overwhelmed. Brian was feeling nothing yet. Slower metabolism, cooler head. He was just enjoying the hike. I stopped in a grove of trees to urinate and stood transfixed at each tree in front of me, quivering with life. They were absolutely alive, and I could see them moving, hear them breathing. It was all so very beautiful. <laughs> Brown earth, green pine, blue sky, but all so very, very intense. <laughs> and I began to panic. Hey, man, I said to Brian. <laughs> when I stepped back on the trail, 
Um, what if I have a bad trip? I don't want to have a bad trip. You're not going to have a bad trip, man. I'm right here with you. Everything's going to be fine. We walked a little further. I felt out of control. I wanted to go back. Back to the car, back in time, untake the mushrooms. I didn't want to do this anymore. It was too much. Hey, man. I said, are you feeling anything? Because I'm really feeling this. Man, I don't want to have a bad trip. I don't want to have a bad trip, man. It's all right, man. You're going to be fine. You get used to it, said Brian. Oh, man. This was a bad idea, I said, rubbing my, rubbing my palms on my thighs and bouncing up and down. I think I better make myself throw up. Should I make myself throw up? If you want to, go ahead. I stuck my finger down my throat and tried to throw up. Nothing came up. I did another little palm-rubbing dance, bouncing up and down. It was embarrassing. I'm sure every tree would have looked away if they could have. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. I don't know, man. I gambled and I lost, man. I gambled and I lost. I was close to tears. Dude, Brian said firmly, I promise you, you're okay. You're going to be okay. Just try to calm down. I took a breath and tried to focus. But it was like there was too much to look at all at once. I think I need to go back to the car. Can we go back to the car, I asked. Sure, we can go back to the car, said Brian. He wasn't even feeling anything yet. And here I was bringing the whole thing to a crashing halt. I, I think I have to run, man. Can we run back to the car? I'm not running back to the car, man, said Brian. What I didn't realize is that we'd been hiking for at least a good 30 minutes at this point. So it's not like it was a quick jog back to the car. It was about this time that Brian became a small boy. <laughs> I knew he was Brian, but in his Boston Red Sox cap and shorts, he shrunk to about four feet high, and he was now a small boy leading me back to the car. It was this same small boy I was following when we came across two men in a clearing. One was hunched over the other, who sat on an overturned tree holding his ankle and wincing. As we got closer, the one holding his ankle looked up at us and said, Have you seen a ranger? I believe that's the moment I decided to run. <laughs> trundling like a big baby towards the car. When I got to the car, I couldn't 
believe how metal it was. It, it was so metal. Look at this machine. It's a, a transportation miracle made of metal. A lowrider pulled up next to us and some Mexicans got out. To me, they look like broad characterizations of the Cholo culture. Hairnets, wife beaters, khaki pants, black Chinese slippers. They were big spray-painted caricatures, graffiti on the side of a building. It was hard to stop staring. I got in the car. Brian caught up and got in the driver's seat. He started to drive down from the base of the mountain, and this is when he looked at me and said with a grin, I'm definitely starting to feel it now. <laughs> we turned on the radio, and Brian glided the car through the neighborhoods of Sandia Heights. I thought, okay, it's cool. I'll just close my eyes and try to get some sleep. Just relax and sleep this off. But shutting my eyes was like diving into an extremely loud kaleidoscope. <laughs> so that wasn't working. We continued driving and watched people doing neighborhood things. A guy was mowing his lawn, and the sight of him tending his little patch of earth on this gigantic planet was like watching a mathematical equation come to life. Numbers squared to the nth degree in front of my eyes. I'm not sure how we made our next decision, honestly. It was so polar opposite of the beautiful mountain landscape we'd just left. But somehow or another, we ended up at the mall. <laughs> we parked and made the slow walk from the lot to the entrance. As we walked, we passed lots of people, adults and children, families together. There was such a distinct difference between the young and old. The adults, the, the adults that passed looked like they'd been molded from wax and then smudged over so slightly, just ever so slightly, their features a dull blur. The children, on the other hand, had bright, shining, crystal clear faces. Upon entering, we found ourselves in a large sporting goods store perched over something called the worm bar. We dug our hands into a large selection of rubber fishing lures arrayed in various neon colors. It was like a salad bar, but for worms. They were cool, soft to the touch, and as I rooted around in the bin, some of my panic began to melt away. I caught my reflection in a nearby mirror. Wild-eyed and dusty, my hair sticking up in patchwork clumps, I looked like I belonged to some long-forgotten race of mountain dwellers as if I just stepped out of a tin-type photo. <laughs> Next was the electronics store, where we watched, a f we watched, fascinated, as a sweaty, overweight salesman tried to convince a sour-looking cowboy to buy a gigantic television set. The desperation in his eyes was palpable as he pointed to the screen where the U.S. Olympic dream team was dunking our country's way to victory. It was then that I had an epiphany. Dude. Dude, I said to Brian, pulling him away from the spectacle. Listen, man. People work at their jobs 
five days a week. They work at these jobs so they can collect these pieces of money. Then they come here on the weekend and trade in these money pieces for these things that they're supposed to enjoy. It's the mall experience. My mind was blown. I needed to have a mall experience. I had some money pieces on me. I could do this. Come on, I said, and led the way over to an orange Julius. I briefed Brian before I took action. Okay, I'm going to order a cup of that Julius. Then I'm going to trade her some of these money pieces for it. Then we get to have it. It will be ours. Brian nodded. I ordered a pineapple Julius from a young woman who was talking on the phone. Its cord stretched between the wall and the cash register. I'm not even sure we spoke. I think I pointed. She turned on a blender, slopped it into a cup, handed, to, handed it to me. I handed her the money pieces, and we walked away. Now all that was left was to enjoy it. We both took some sips and chucked it in the trash. It was horrid. Our last stop before leaving was the organ store. This was when malls still had organ stores. <laughs> Do malls still have organ stores? I have no idea, but it seems unlikely. There was a guy playing the organ inside. A guy dressed in a crazy, showy tuxedo with big, giant glasses and a Liberace air about him. We stood there a while, just watching and listening. It was like, amidst all this madness, a special private concert had been arranged just for us. A special private concert played by a man that looked like he represented our psyches perfectly. <laughs> if there was ever the embodiment of hallucination, it was this guy. When the music stopped, we turned and walked out of the mall. The sun was still shining, but the day's late hour had weakened its effect. The same was true for the mushrooms. Still shining, but with less intensity. I was able to bask in the glow of both as we walked to the car. We had a few more adventures that day, but mostly it was a slow coast back to normal. It's been 20 years, and I haven't done anything like that since. So I guess I could say I'll never do that again, but I like to keep the most likely around for good measure because while I'm still afraid of a lot of things, and I still keep a pretty tight hold on the reins, you never know when letting go and diving in might just provide something unforgettable. Thanks. The How I Learn series is produced and hosted by Blaze Allison Kearsley. The intern is Lyra Smith, who also produced this podcast. Come check out a show. It's really fun. To learn more, visit howilearnseries.com. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed.